but I'd had this clarity that I'd never experienced and um, I, I stayed on house arrest until and, and was you know using drugs and alcohol right up until my court date where I was sentenced ended up getting 13 months on the top and I had to serve six months non-parole and I went straight from the courtroom straight to maximum security um, and you know, I had a lot of uh, my friends who were in gangs and gang associates, and I knew a lot of prisoners, so I was okay in that respect. But this was the real turning point for me being in prison because it was the longest I'd been sober for for around 12 years since I was around uh, 12 years, uh, 14 years old. So, so I'd always been on some type of substance for you know no longer than a week. I hadn't experienced sobriety, so this was like you know, six months of real sobriety. Like I didn't touch anything, no substances in prison. And I trained religiously, I trained twice a day. And I started to see the gang life for what it was. I started to see like it with a sober perspective that I'd never, you know, I've seen things with more clarity. Like I didn't have alcohol. Hi everyone, I'm Robbie Lockie and I'm the host of the PBN podcast. Today I'm really excited to bring you the wonderful Joey Carbstrong. Joey is a YouTuber, a vegan, a full-time vegan advocate and activist and a public speaker. Welcome Joey and thanks for joining us. Hello Robbie, how are you going mate? Yeah, really, really good. So let's dive straight in and let's learn all about um, what makes you tick. Before we begin that though, let's talk about your history and how you got involved in the vegan movement. Um, let's just go right back to your childhood and explain you know, your kind of journey into the vegan movement and how it all began. Okay, so I'm probably well known publicly now for my controversial past of gangs and drugs and it's been uh, quite heavily publicised, even in the media. Even Pierce Morgan had a go um, at ripping out my past. So um, I've been very open about um, my transition, and it's a big part of who I am, my experiences, and it's quite amazing how it how it led me into um, veganism and sobriety. But it's like I had to go through the the darkness to get to the light. But it started when I was about fourteen years old. I um, started going down the wrong track. I started to experiment with drugs and escape from my reality. Um, I lost youth and I found solitude in hanging out with people who I thought were like me. So other misled youth and, you know, we were sort of like low-level street gangs started develop developing and we would, you know, gate crash parties and get drunk and get into fights on the street and we're all boxers and, you know, left school. And slowly, slowly what happens is you start to graduate to, you know, more extreme sort of levels of violence and trying to one-up each other and then you gain respect for, you know, maybe an act of street violence and then um, the drug and alcohol use gets more and more uh, uh, extreme as well. Everything sort of leads to the next. And then I went from these low-level street gangs and started to graduate into more organised crime, more dangerous uh, sort of environment. And everything sort of spiraled out of control. And to cut the, the, the long story a bit shorter, I ended up, I landed myself uh, in prison for, for being, uh, for carrying a loaded firearm. So what happens is uh, they, they caught me with the loaded firearm and they land, I landed on uh, house arrest. Uh, so I couldn't leave the house for, until my uh, prison sentence. And 
this was a blessing in disguise, really, because looking back on it now, like I didn't really want to be on house arrest, but I was really not in a good place. I mean, I was really on like a rampage, very self-destructive. I was harming people around me and only God knows what would have happened if I didn't land myself on, you know, house arrest. So, you know, I was still drinking on house arrest. I was still using drugs and I was still, you know, a, a violent gang member, but I was, you know, had this boundary where I couldn't leave my house. I had a bracelet around my um, ankle and, you know, I, I didn't want to, you know, breach my my home detention. So uh, what ended up happening though is I put on a lot of weight. I got, you know, clinically obese. I was eating a lot of steak and eggs and oil and, you know, junk food and I was very depressed. So I, I actually got up to around 100, 115 kilograms. And for my height, that's really, really obese. Of It was bad. But I ended up having enough of that. I had enough of, you know, feeling like that, of looking like that. And I was on the internet looking for the best diet to lose weight. And I came across a raw foodist. Uh, his name's Dan McDonald, the life regenerator. Uh, he's not even really, he doesn't really claim to be vegan, more of a raw food health advocate. And yeah, he was like this hippie guy and he'd be out the front of his caravan wearing wigs and, you know, juicing raw fruits and vegetables. It was, he really wasn't my type of like, he's definitely not in my genre, that's for sure. But like, I don't know, I was intrigued and some of the things he said really like spoke to me and it wasn't like he told me something I didn't know. It was like he revealed something I already sort of understood, but he was talking about like, you know, the power of eating, you know, living foods and raw fruits and vegetables and how they have the phytochemicals and the the nutrients and the water and their life giving. And when you eat dead food, like the body of like a dead animal, you take on everything that animal went through and it manifests as disease in your body. And it sort of planted the seed of like karma. For, for me, I'd seen karma in the gang life. I'd seen how people's actions would come back on them. I'd seen it in my own life. So I, I understood that actions had reactions and it spoke to me. It planted a very powerful seed in my mind and it didn't, change me right then and there but it was definitely the starting point because when I had like started consuming more plant foods I had this mental clarity um, that I'd never experienced it was amazing when I was doing these juices and I'd lost 20 I lost 25 kilograms from doing it really extreme dietary intervention but I you know I wouldn't really recommend it to everyone but yeah and I was still drinking and, you know, using drugs and stuff, but I'd had this clarity that I'd never experienced. And um, I I stayed on house arrest until and, and was, you know, using drugs and alcohol right up until my court date where I was sentenced. Ended up getting 13 months on the top and I had to serve six months non-parole. And I went straight from the courtroom straight to maximum security. Um, and... You know, I had a lot of uh, my friends who were in gangs and gang associates and I knew a lot of prisoners, so I was okay in that respect. But this was the real turning point for me being in prison because it was the longest I'd been sober for, for around 12 years since I was around uh, 12 years, uh, 14 years old. So, so I'd always been on some type of substance for, you know, no longer than a week. I hadn't experienced sobriety, so this was like you know, six months 
of real sobriety. Like I didn't touch anything, no substances in prison. And I trained religiously. I trained twice a day. And I started to see the gang life for what it was. I started to see like it with a sober perspective that I'd never, you know, I've seen things with more clarity. Like I didn't have alcohol to numb myself from, you know, the danger of it. And it started to get really, really full on and really dangerous and really serious things were happening all the time. And I was like, you know, do I really want to be a part of this? And I'd seen people in prison doing five years, 10 years or or life for something silly they did one night. And I was like, do I really want to be in here with everyone who's, you know, depressed and aggressive and they don't want to be in here? I started to see all the mistakes I'd made in my past and how they'd led me to this point. I see my life with new eyes. It was a really profound epiphany that I was having in prison. Um, Upon my release, it was a real awakening and I really... It, it, you couldn't write a better movie about it. Like it was really profound. No, uh, I can't explain it. And upon my release, um, I had another barrier for my drug use. It's called parole. Uh, on parole, you cannot use substances. They test your urine. And this was another blessing for me because if I wasn't on parole, having my urine tested, I would have been straight back on it as soon as I got out of prison because what else did I really have? Like, I mean... I had no direction. I mean, uh, I would have just been straight back on the drugs and the alcohol and back hanging out with gang members. But I was on parole and something happened while I was on parole. Uh, I I was experimenting with eating more plant foods when I got out of uh, jail. I was doing more um, juices and stuff. But yeah, I was having a conversation with my mum about her smoking cigarettes. And I was like, you know, mum, you shouldn't be smoking what are you doing? And she's like, well, you're criticizing me for smoking. You just, you know, we're on drugs and alcohol for 12 years, causing us absolute hell. I put my mum through. She sort of looked at me like, are you trying to be morally superior to me? And like, <laughs> criticize me for smoking? Are you serious? Anyway, she said to me, like, there's a lot of vices people have that they don't change, you know? And she sort of looked at me and I was like, what is it about me? Like I, I internalized that and I started reflecting and I was like, what is it about me that I haven't changed? And I've been living in this state of hypocrisy for so long, like openly talking about how, you know, you can't be an animal rights activist if you're consuming meat. I've seen people like that were consuming meat going on about palm oil. And I've just seen that the hypocrisy in that. And I was sort of outspoken about that. So I've been living with this open hypocrisy about consuming animals. And right then and there, when mum said that, I was like, you know what, mum, you're right. I'm going to go vegan tomorrow. I went full vegan the next day, like completely, like for everything, every product that I knew that wasn't vegan. Um, obviously there's a little period at the start where you're just starting to learn what's vegan and what's not. But in my mind, I was a vegan and, um, that was the beginning of it really. That was, and, and how's this Robbie? How long ago was that? How is this unaware that the next day, (laughs) the day that I went vegan was world vegan day completely oh, wow. unaware. and you know i didn't know until yeah. my vegan anniversary the because uh, I, I wrote it down in my phone it's still there um Amazing. november the first no november the wait it's november the first yeah 2013 yeah, yeah november, november the first is world vegan day yeah november the first 2013 is when i went vegan that's incredible um, in 2013 and, yeah yep Amazing. 
So I couldn't believe it. It was almost. And so, and so, and so that that kind of process, that awakening. I mean, you see, obviously, you moved into kind of a parallel universe, really, in many ways. So not only did you change your diet and your whole outlook of the world, but you completely changed as a person. Do you think that that? change in what you were eating um, changed who you were as a person? Because a lot of people say that when you stop eating animals, your levels of compassion begin to increase. Well, uh, this is the thing, Robbie. Like there were too many other factors for me. to. If I was like sober, changed my life, still eating animals and was still violent and hadn't changed and then I changed my diet and stopped consuming violence and then I seen a change, but there were too many factors that happened all at once. Um, I'm going to say this. When I started to do these fruits and vegetable juices, I was like, wow, like clarity. It was almost like I'd been consuming flesh, you know, all this eggs and bacon and alcohol and drugs and hanging around negative people and just really consumed with violence and, you know, and then I started drinking these juices. I was like, oh, my God, I feel amazing. I felt like I could just take off and like fly away. And it sort of opened wow. my mind up to, to let this mm-hmm. message sink in with me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm also going to say that, that coupled with my sobriety, being more conscious, like, like actively more conscious and aware of how my actions were contributing to the suffering of animals and, and just, mm-hmm. just generally like my being more aware of myself and my actions being, and, and this will, I think this mostly came from my sobriety, but there was, I think the, uh, it was definitely a factor. And I wish that, that we could have done like some study on me at the time, but I really can't say for sure if it was all the veganism, if it was partly sobriety. I think there's obviously lots of research that suggests that, you know, when you consume a diet high in animal products, it does physically block up your body, you know, all that dietary cholesterol and the saturated fat. And, you know, on a more spiritual level, a lot of spiritual people discuss about the, like, and you often do as well, about the violence that these animals endure, the kind of karmic kind of like scars that go on within these individuals. Because again, this is one of the most important things I discuss often about veganism is helping people understand that animals are individuals just like we are and when a human being goes through a traumatic and violent death you know there are lots of spiritual people that say that that leaves like a kind of karmic scar or a a, um you know an echo you could say and there's no reason why animals aren't exactly the same so when we consume their dead and dismembered bodies we are potentially um you know because obviously there's no way to prove or disprove this because when it comes to the spiritual world it's more a sense of feeling as you are as a person i can definitely vouch for that as well when i switch to a plant-based diet, I did feel hugely, uh, a huge amount of clarity and and life, lightness. I felt like I could think more clearly when I did work and kind of focused on my projects. I could actually think straight, whereas I always had this kind of like mental fog growing up. Yes. Yeah. You know, I didn't have that clarity. Well, it makes sense to me that if someone suffered and died in their own blood in a slaughterhouse that smells like feces in front of their friends and, you know, some horrific hellhole, and they yeah. have adrenaline and fear in their last moments. And then you go and consume yeah. those suffered body parts for the better half of your life. Uh, and all of that cortisol that they're releasing into their flesh and all of that adrenaline and these hormones are so similar to our hormones. And I think Gregor does have research on consuming this adrenaline and cortisol from animals and how it manifests in our body. Um, but, you know, like just like it's so obvious that we shouldn't need a study to – um, 
to show this. Like it's just an obvious thing. Like these slaughterhouses, they're like massive fear pyramids all over the world, fear and violence pyramids. So let's fast forward a bit. So you've been, your health has improved, you lost weight, um, you're starting to feel different, you're having, the, you're having this kind of realization. At what point did you suddenly realize, wow, this is something that I want to tell people about and I want to get out there and talk to people about it. Talk me through that process. You know what? People think that there was some planning that went into that. Like it really comes so naturally to me. I'm an, I was an outspoken uh, gang member. I was uh, always doing all the talking when it come to like, you know, situations where there was, you know, some altercation happening. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I, I was, <laughs> I was, I had the gift of the gab even back then. My dad always, my dad always used to say that actually. And um, I was cool, calm, collected in very hectic situations. But I was also like a three, a free spink, uh, like a free thinker and a truth seeker, even as, you know, an active gang member. Um, and I used to speak about political issues and spiritual issues, even um, as a gang member, and people, like, weren't really on that level with me. But when I um, got sober, went vegan, and seen this atrocity happening, this absolute atrocity happening to innocent beings, I was so angry. I was so furious i was like how are we letting this happen like for starters how long has this been happening for why didn't anyone tell me and we have to stop this so i was like and because like i really like didn't care what anyone think thought at that point i I forgot to like go into detail about when i left the gangs um it was one of the hardest times the most you know the scariest times of my life leaving a high-level um, gang because I really didn't know what was going to happen to me. I didn't know what was going to happen uh, in terms of my safety. I was on my own. I'd always had, um, you know, my mates looking out for me. I'd always had a firearm. I'd always have alcohol and drugs to use as a crutch. I had. I was by myself. Like I was like, riding around on my bike eating bananas, not, not knowing whether, <laughs> you know, I was going to be shot the next day or whether, you know, wow. like – I just didn't know. Like I just, I just had this, and I was riddled with fear and anxiety. And I was like, you know, the 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 best thing I ever did was stay sober through that, because I could have easily just went back onto the drugs and made it easier for myself. But I thought, no, nah, this is it. I'm gonna get through this. You know, I'm gonna do this. And so at that point, like, I didn't really care what anyone thought anymore because, like, my, you know, I'd already taken this huge step by myself like and and let go of all that fear so um i was very outspoken to friends and family on my facebook i i really you know said it how it was i didn't you know pull any punches and it just really came naturally i had this burning desire in my heart and i still have it now robbie it's really burns really bright now uh but when it first started was when I was like, when I became sober, I become vegan. I seen that there was this purpose now, that, that I could now, that I now uh, had. I wanted to do something and, and I sort of was like calling out to the universe, like what is my purpose? What can I do? Can I help people? I've got this second lease on life. I need to give back. I've been taking and causing suffering and harm to my friends and my family and my parents and myself for so long. I need to give back. And I would fall asleep during the day and wake up from a nap and I'd be like, oh, my God, I've just wasted like 
a few hours in the day. I've wasted another day and there was this burning desire in my chest saying, Joey, you have to do something. Do something now. You have to spread this light, this fire in your chest. And that's why I always say to people, you know, if anyone else has that fire inside your heart, never deny yourself to ch- your, your chance, your opportunity to spread it because that's your purpose and it's calling out to you. And, and I, I, that, was, that was why it came so naturally to me. And, you know, one, I, I started to hang around like Abdullah and that. He was a YouTuber. And he would film, he would film his, you know, when he'd have inspiration, inspiration, he would inspired thought. He'd pull out his camera and start filming it. And I was like, you know, I've inspired thought all the time. And I was like, you know, there was a few other YouTubers and I was like, you know, I went for a ride one day and I was like, I just pulled out my phone after the ride in the car and I just started talking into my phone and just like everything that was on my mind. And that's basically how I started my platform, <laughs> just spontaneously pulling out my phone and, yeah. you know, sharing it on the internet. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Like, I think this is the thing is when uh, people emerge into this world and they don't have the guidance and the mentors and the, and the what are they called, um, people to look up to in their youth, it's very easy for people to become kind of wavered, wavered because, you know, drugs and gangs and, you know, alcohol, these things kind of are a an opiate for a lack of purpose, I think. Sometimes people feel like they don't have something in their lives, so they kind of go out looking for it in all the wrong places. And if they don't have the mentorship or the you know the um the, the role models to look up to you know where else do people where else are young people supposed to go um and i think this is what's incredible about the vegan movement is you know it has so many different facets to it you know you can be an activist you can work in food you can work in law you can you know in our travel class and my travels are all over the place we've met so many incredible people who speak with the same passion and fire as you do, you know, from their own respective places of, of uh, influence, whether that is fashion or law or food or technology or whatever. And it's incredibly exciting to be a part of what I feel like is probably one of the fastest, if not the biggest, um, you know, movements really on earth today for, for creating change. Because it does touch so many parts of our lives. It's health, it's the animals, it's the environment, it's, it's our future. And I think it's, you know, it's really fantastic that you had that realization and we need more people like you to kind of you know make that realization now when it comes to obviously like your feelings at the time you mentioned that you were very angry um obviously things come and go people change uh, in in time do you still feel that anger or do you feel like you're really channeling that anger well i feel the anger like feel the anger like i don't want there to be a bunch of robot activists who don't feel uh, the normal spectrum of human emotion feel the emotion right? Like there's ways of channeling your anger in a productive way. Like, look, if you're angry and you're an artist, paint a picture that helps tell the animal's story. If you're angry about, you know, the the state of, you know, animal agriculture and what it's doing to animals, you know, it, it, this anger helps you get off your butt to do something. It really does. And um, yeah, feel the emotion, but I think um, there's an art to challenge, uh, channeling uh, your emotions so that it's the, at the start, I mean, and I still I still do slip a little bit, but um, at the start I was quite an aggressive activist. I was probably, I'd probably say it was safe to say I was one of the most aggressive um, activists online um, in terms of my, you know, swearing insults. Uh, you know, I would wish cancer publicly on people who would make fun of a- animal abuse. 
I don't, I, I really don't do that anymore. I really don't insult anyone. Um, my passion can sometimes spill out into what people perceive as aggression, but um, I honestly don't feel like I'm being aggressive, but there's, there's definitely a spectrum. And, you know, I, I just want people to not be afraid to feel emotion about what's going on. Feel it. And, and you, can, you can generate a certain level of emotion so that it helps your advocacy because people go, wow, he's serious about this. Well, yeah, conviction, this, isn't it? This means something to him. Yeah. He must, mm-hmm. Let's yeah. look into this, you know. Yes. yes, that's the thing. Like anger, um, you know, placed in the right way can create a huge amount of change. You know, look at all the civil rights movements throughout the human history. You know, if the men and women of the past uh, didn't feel any anger, they would never have been driven to do anything. They would have just been ruled by fear. Um, I think the Buddha, you know, Buddha Shakyamuni, the you know the 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 man, the the, um, the Indian prince who founded Buddhism, often talked about anger and how we deal with it. And you know, and they said, you know, he said if we hold on to anger, it can become like a poison. It can become like a hot coal that we hold on to and it kind of ends up burning us. But I think when it comes to anger and using it in a positive way, it's exactly as you say, take it and use it to drive yourself forward. Use it to drive and inspire you to, to create change. If you, if you, you know, stop being angry, is. then you become dead inside. You know, the, the Malcolm, yeah. X, Malcolm X actually said, usually when people are sad, they don't do anything. Yeah. They just cry over their condition. Yeah. But when they get angry, they bring yeah. about a change. Bring about a change. Yes, get angry. But there's a fundamental difference between feeling anger and channeling it productively and feeling anger and acting out that anger because I got told by a psychologist once that aggression is anger in action. Um, So be careful of that. But do I say to activists, you know, you are a bad activist because you become aggressive in that emotional situation because of course I don't because it's such an atrocity and it's such an emotional uh, uh, topic and you know like literally animals being slaughtered and you're out the front of a slaughterhouse for five hours and then someone's making fun of the suffering of animals to your face and you've been you know fighting for these beings for years yeah that's sometimes you're gonna you know you're gonna let your emotion get the better of you but I think like we have to be hyper aware of our conduct as uh, advocates, uh, not to the point that you hinder the message of, for animals, but but we just have to be on our best behaviour. It's almost like because we're being scrutinised more than your average person. So, and you know, we we really want to we're, we're speaking for the animals at the end of the end of the day, not for ourselves, not for other vegans. We are ambassadors for them, so we really want this message to get through in the most sort of effective way as we can, whatever that might be, whatever, you know, whatever effective actually means. Um, sure. Yeah. But speaking, uh, speaking of um, scrutiny, you've had columns and columns and columns of media coverage about you and you've been on, uh, you know, daytime TV and you've, you've kind of had cameras shoved in your face left, right and centre. Um, how has that experience been and how has it sort of like shifted and shaped your advocacy and you as a person? I have had like hundreds of articles written and I can't even keep up with them. I couldn't even screenshot them. It would take, it would be a bad, bad use of my time. They absolutely, the media loves the controversy. That's what they thrive off of. And when they seen the way I spoke, 
and they found out about my past, it was like on for young and old and they absolutely capitalized on it. And then they started a smear campaign against me. Um, well, they found they, they got the paparazzi together and they, they must have had a team working on this because they found posts that I thought I'd deleted. I'd gone through my YouTube and Facebook and I deleted most of the stuff that I didn't, I didn't stand by anymore. But they went through like two years of my stuff, every single last post ever, uh, better than I did. And they found some things that, um, you know, I said that they were just, they, were, they weren't well thought out things. I mean, at the start of my advocacy, I've, I've been advocating online for three years, you know. So like at the start, like, come on, I'm, a, I'm fresh out of gangs, out of prison, like, you know. And I said some things that weren't well thought out. <laughs> Media take that. Uh, you know, Joey Carbstrong compared dairy farmers to Hitler and told them to go kill themselves. And they took that, publicized it on like the independent, which has like, I don't know, the, they reach tens of millions of people a month. And, and along with my, like they, along with my criminal history and, you know, they use these phrases that I don't stand by anymore. Um, like they were my views currently or, or how I advocate currently. That's the way they portrayed it. And I felt like it got to the stage where I felt like I didn't even want to, I, I didn't know whether they were going through my phone, my personal records. I didn't know whether, whether they were going to mess with my bank account, whether I didn't know how mm-hmm. far this was going to go because I'd heard scandals yeah. of like media tapping, phone hacking, phone hacking mm-hmm. and all of this. And I was just like, how far are they going to take this? I started to get really anxious and then I was being criticized by the vegan community as well when I was on the biggest tour of my life and you know going viral as well at the same time and obviously doing speeches and vigils and getting up early and editing and uploading and dealing with a barrage of you know criticism from the media and all the way to all the way to Australia and Europe um everywhere so it was Really intense and really crazy, but you know what they say: when the student is ready, the teacher comes. And it was almost like my experiences leading up to that point made me ready for it. And I definitely like it was really, really tough, but it was so, so worth staying strong through that and and like continuing on through that and just powering through it, powering through it. Cause all, always at the back of my mind through all the, you know, the smear campaigning the media were doing, I was like, well, let's, let's read this article. Yeah. They're saying stuff about my character and about my past, but look at this. Pigs are murdered in gas chambers. Uh, dairy cows had their children stolen off them and bolt gunned in the skull. You know, they, they were paraphrasing me, quoting me all these things that are just objective facts about what's happening to animals. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, my character's been dragged through the mud, but I don't really care because the animals are getting their voice and um, mm, the facts are getting out. Yeah. So let's speak a little bit about language because you and I have talked a little bit about this uh, recently about the words that we choose. Um, now, there's obviously certain words that we use 
um, uh, when we advocate and when we have conversations about dairy, about uh, animal agriculture, about slaughter. So let's start with uh, let's start with the word murder, for example. So obviously, in current human society, uh, murder of humans is current is obviously illegal. It's a crime. Murder and killing of animals is not a crime. It's well, that's <laughs> you can kill a, a dog or a cat, and that's actually considered a crime. But you can bolt gun a cow or a pig or a chicken, you know, and that's not a crime. So there's this, we live in this really strange, like schizophrenic society where words have these strange power over people. So you can say you murder a human being, which you're not allowed to say, or people laugh at you if you say murdering an animal. Yet, you know, an animal, a cow or a human being are both individuals with feelings and emotions and family and everything else. So do you want to talk a little bit about the use of the word murder, murderer, these kinds of things and how we, how you feel we should and could and can use them? Well, it depends on context, really. Um, like, it depends on the nature of this, the, the conversation. And I think, like, um, I always say animals are murdered. For me, like, personally, I always use the word murder. And there are non-anthropocentric uh, words, uh, uh, meanings of the word murder. murder. So, like, um, I always use murder sometimes i use you know killing against their will but like you know i invite people to like if people want to get into like a, a battle on semantics with me like we can we, we they can say well it's not technically murder murder is the premeditated uh killing of one human by another <laughs> well that's just the word game <laughs> okay well does that mean that what i'm saying about the plight of animals isn't true or any less immoral like um really it's beside the actual point and yeah well people might say well then it's distracting the debate well not really not really because like uh, look my my this morning interview um it was actually a debate wasn't really an interview it was a heated debate with two dairy farmers um and phil schofield and, and holly as well so it was four four of them and i was like the only vegan up there and she she started um, sort of rattling on. If I'd let her go too long, she would have taken the whole segment about words. Going, there are three words vegans like to use, and I was like, "Come on, are you gonna spit it out? What is it? You know, rape, murder, and slavery." And she just went on to say that these are human on human crimes, and that you know you can't use these words for animals. Okay, let's not use those words at all. Let's just talk about the act and describe the act because let's just say like you know people are getting turned turned off by the word rape and you know some people were triggered and you know you lose the conversation that's fine okay now you can you can sort of adapt your advocacy there and we can just talk you can just describe what those cows go through and go well what do you call this what would you call this and you can describe exactly that well they're held down and they're in a rack and they're held down because they obviously don't want them to do that to them. They struggle. They're, they're trying to, you know, it's not comfortable for them. And this is exactly, you know, what happens to them. What do you call that? And you could you could take the cow out of that rack and you could put a human in there. And then what would you call that? So um, I really think like even a battle on semantics is really powerful for advocacy too because you can go, okay, let's not use those words. Let's just describe it. And I think describing the act sometimes has more power than the word Murder, if you continuously use the word murder to the point where it loses its power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think and the key there is also focusing on the individual and the suffering that that individual goes through, you know, and I think 
we often come under heavy criticism for comparing the victims. So in the, in the instance of the Holocaust, we often talk about the animal Holocaust. You know, the Holocaust isn't uh, owned by what happens to the Jewish people of, of this world, but it is a word that describes a mass killing. Um, but I think a lot of people are emotionally, uh, culturally triggered by the use of that word because they feel it's really only for human beings. But I think you're right. I think when we focus on the actual act itself, on the method um, and how people see that the method really is no different. I think when it comes to rape, it's a very interesting one because often rape is associated with, um, and it is, I guess, very similar, is power. You know, a man's power over a woman is, is often what rape is often about. It's, very, it's, it's not about sex, really, is it? And I think it's very similar with the same with the farmers over the animals, you know, the farmers over the cows. They have the power over those female animals, and they are using this method to forcibly impregnate animals um, so that they can get the milk, sell the milk, and make money. It's all to do with power and money, um, which really, you know, is very similar to human rape in many ways. So I think actually describing the actual act is a great way to get people to live. I think to, 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 to deny that, that animals get raped is a mistake, and I think that's an injustice because, like, you might not use the word rape in your advocacy, and I, w- I wouldn't have a problem with that because I don't always think, you know, it's as effective as it could be. I mean... But to deny that animals are raped, I think, is a problem because, look, um, the the media like to make these headlines in their articles like Joey calls farmers rapists and murderers. But that, that was kind of like that was they were spinning it a little bit. They were they were sort of um, it wasn't exactly what I was saying. They called me and they said, do you do you believe that cows are raped? And I would I would say. Well, I'm not going to deny that that is rape. I will never deny that that is rape because they are raped. And, you know, mm. um, but but do I use the term rape, you know, while I'm advocating all the time? You watch my outreach videos. I hardly ever use it. Um, you know, I might use it in post. I actually made a post yesterday and I, and I said the word rape. But, you know, j- you know, I don't use it all the time. But, you know, I think to deny that that cows are raped <laughs> – is like saying that they're not worthy of the word. Like those individuals mm. are not worthy of mm-hmm. being raped. They, they are. You, you're right. sort of helping this speciesism go. Like you know, they're just cows. They can't be raped. Uh, you know. Well, why? What is the what is the moral difference between a cow and the human? Where a human can be raped, or let's just talk about like a human mm-hmm. of a similar level of sentience, like a human child, a four year old child. Let's compare a four year old child to a one year old dairy cow who's being raped for the first time because that's about the age they're raped and you know we could say well what's the moral difference if a, if a cow can't be raped why what, what is it what is it characteristically about a cow that you know makes them you know not able to be raped or like you can't use the word for them and, and we could get in that discussion with people i mean children can be raped and you know i don't see much of a moral difference between you know, children and animals. I mean, they're both about the same intelligence. They're both, you know, when you get to really young children, three or four, um, they're both about the same level of sentience, both as innocent and vulnerable as each other. I mean, um, 
I guess for the for the non-vegans perspective, I think it's all about motive. I think people, when they see quote unquote the raping of a cow, they see it as necessary because you know people need to drink milk and people need to farm and this is just what we do. So people tell these little stories in their minds, don't they? So this is so I did a post on Facebook uh, which caused a bit of controversy amongst certain vegans in the movement, uh, where I I kind of really like spoke out against the use of the word murderer, rapist, things like that. I don't have a problem with the word murder or rape. This is the nuance, right? I don't agree with calling people rapists or murderers, but I have no problem with saying that an animal is being murdered or raped. Do you, do you understand the difference? And I think that this is where we choose our words very carefully. It's not effective to scream at someone and call them a rapist, but it is effective to say what you are doing is rape. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It can be described as rape. That is a very easy to understand, and I agree. I totally agree. Um, I think that denying that the act is rape is a mistake, uh, uh, but you know, yelling at someone who's been con- completely conditioned their whole life—let's just say they're fourth, fifth generation yeah. dairy farmer—and you know, they call it yeah. artificial insemination their whole life, and they're just like, "What do you like?" You know, like I actually spoke about this when all of this controversy was happening with, um, you know, the farmers being called rapists by vegans and, you know, claiming that I'm calling farmers rapists, which I don't know, has there ever been a time in a video um, recently in the last 18 months where I've walked up to a farmer and gone, hey, you're rapist? Like, you know, like I just don't know where people are getting that from. But um yeah, yeah it's assumption, isn't it? It's it's a lack of under. It's a you know this is the nuance of language and semantics. Is that rape is not the same as rapist. A rapist is a person motivated by uh, a requirement for uh, seeking power over another individual. Whereas you know a farmer who's in sem- artificially inseminating or forcibly impregnating a cow, I wouldn't say that they are in, as an individual seeking power over that animal. They are simply a well, I don't want to say victim, but they are simply a product of a system a of conditioning yeah that, yeah that, and that, you know this is context surrounding this like that that makes it slightly different but from the victim's point of view they don't know that like the cows are just no. innocent victims of like this horrific system um but i think there's definitely a a bit of a moral distinction between like you know a, a, an evil human being who's consciously going out to harm, um, you know, animals and cigarette burn them and, you know, rape, you know, children and, you know, has this sinister, um, you know, sick, you know, desire to go and harm illness. And those who are, um, you know, brought up in a system that conditions them to work, uh, you know, in these industries and, you know, no one really calls them out on it because I was like, you know, these farmers must be freaking out right now because they've been doing this for years and years and years, decades, like decades. And all of a sudden a bunch of vegans are going, Hey, get your hands off that animal. That's rape. So they must be like, like people just must be going, what is going on? Like, they don't understand, though. This is the thing. This is what I always try to explain to people is that when you're advocating for veganism and you're, you're talking about these what appear quite extreme ideas, we have to understand that not everyone is at the same place we are. They, not everyone has made those connections and sees animals as individuals. A lot of these people do not see animals as individuals. In fact, they have 
they've almost kind of de-conditioned themselves to see animals as individuals. The irony is they probably have a cat and a dog at home and they see them as individuals. But this is what like carnism is. It, it, it's this kind of ideology and a belief system that says, you know, these animals are worthy of our love and respect and compassion and these animals belong on our plate. And I think this is what the human mind does. Humans are very good at conditioning ourselves and each other, telling ourselves these lies and these little stories so we can feel better. And this is why when we go vegan, and it's so earth shattering and it creates a lot of uh, second degree trauma because people wake up in this world, but a bit like Neo waking up in the matrix, you know, he suddenly realizes he takes that red pill and he's like, oh my God, holy shit. Like this is not just about not eating animals. This is our entire um society which is built on the on the backs of animals the american uh, economy 120 or 170 trillion dollars or something most of it comes from animal agriculture and from animal products of some sort so our entire civilization is literally built on the backs of animals and this is why what we're doing is so vital because you know we have to change it's not sustainable it's it's violent it's cruel it's destructive it's unhealthy you know it's a big part of of our future well our future will 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 not happen if we can't change Change, essentially. Um, but I think it's, again, it's a, an awakening. Dr. Selesh Rao, you know Dr. Selesh Rao? You heard of him? He um, is part of an organization called Climate Healers. And Selesh talks about the fact that human beings are currently, um, and this goes again with the nuance of language, in a parasitic phase. So humans aren't necessarily parasites themselves because we aren't intrinsically parasites, but our behavior and, our con- and the way we are currently operating on this planet is parasitic. We are consuming, like the caterpillar munching through the leaf, consuming and eating the leaf and then suddenly realizing, oh shit, there's no leaf, and then the leaf falls from the tree. <laughs> you know, we we are um, behaving in this way, but we also have the power to create, to be kind, to be compassionate, to be uh, uh, gentle people. We have that in our nature. At least I believe that anyway. Uh, and so, you know, what does the caterpillar become? It becomes a butterfly, you know, and within us, within all human beings is the potential to be that beautiful butterfly, to pollinate, to, you know, to bring life. Do, what do you think? Do you think human beings are naturally endowed with compassion or do you think we have to learn it i think there's i think that um our innate characteristics as human beings is to be compassionate to to animals and to each other i just think that you know we we've been we've been we've suffered abuse ourselves we've been part of a very sick system and we've been conditioned to be violent and i just don't think that that's natural for human beings to be killers um i personally have been around many violent people uh, for a lot of my life, I was a, in fact a very, you know, actively conscious, violent person. But underneath all of that was, you know, a compassionate heart, and you know, I just had to remove myself from these these environments and have my own sort of, you know, awakening, and you know, nurture that compassion in my heart. And now I, you know, I couldn't dream of hurting an animal. Like uh, I could, I could probably, you know, defend someone with violence defend in, in, a, in the right situation. But I just, I haven't, you know, had the desire to, to cause anyone that type of harm for years. Like, and I just, I, I think like hurt people hurt people. Like I see like people who are just, um, you know, they're, they're, they're really, they're really not happy within themselves. And that's really, they don't show themselves enough compassion for them to extend that to animals. Um, they really, they don't have a good inner voice. I just think like, look, 
I think it's good to have a mixture myself, myself. You, I personally think like that human beings, the ones I advocate to mostly are adults. And if they're not, there's a different approach, but adults deserve to hear the truth. Tell them the truth. Okay. Say it, how it resonates with you. Like what, how, you know, but for me, it's direct. This is what you are causing. This is how you can stop causing that. Now, I think you have a good heart and this action isn't consistent with the good person I believe you are. That type of advocacy. Yes, cows are, you know, being harmed and exploited and they're having their children stolen from them and butchered and massacred in these, you know, slaughterhouses and it's disgusting. But we've all got power to change. And I just think having a mixture of reality, this is the harsh reality of what's going on to animals. Yes, our actions are causing that. Yes, we are good people. Our actions aren't consistent with that. And we will have the power to change. And I think like, you know, sing it in your own tune. I think it's more important that we're getting the message out there in all different ways and, and, and you know, constantly striving to do it um, more effectively, whatever that is. But, you know, like... Um, when you say effectively, how do we measure success? So when we're out there as advocates and activists speaking and making videos and creating content, like how do we measure the success? So how do we know we're heading in the right direction? You know, that's a really, really hard question because like I'll tell you, like I'm about to upload a video uh, very soon and it was my interview with uh, Jeremy Vine. In this interview, I really didn't know what I was walking into. I was very fired up and... <clears throat> I, I come into it like really, really razzed up, like really razzed up. And he razzed me up a lot as well. And in this interview, I was a little bit more, I'm going to say aggressive, like subjectively, like than I usually am. Uh, and, you know, I got criticized so heavily for that, so heavily for this debate. And like there was seven and a half million pe people listening to that. And I was like, you know, I was really like, I was kind of embarrassed. I was like, you know, I tried my best. I no pressure. I want, yeah, no, no pressure. I didn't know till after there was 7 million people listening. God, maybe I would have, you know, rehearsed something, but, you know, um, but anyways, like I was like, oh, you know, but, but, but as a result of my conduct in that interview, it caused the biggest media storm I've ever seen. Like I, if you uh, Google up uh, Jeremy Vine versus Joey Carbstrong, there's about five pages of articles with 20 articles in each page of all the major news part of, uh, uh, outlets in the UK. So we're talking tens and tens of millions of people, um, you know, found out about this. And then all of a sudden, so like, so it got the message out there for animals. Yeah. Like, yeah, my character was sort of under scrutiny, but it, it sort of helped drive the ethical vegan message into the forefront of the mainstream media, which like until last year, it hadn't really been done before in the UK. I mean, Israel had it a lot with Gary Yarofsky, but like real, like fundamental, animal rights messages, you know, being you know, broadcast in on these massive, massive media outlets, like for, the, for, for months on end. And like, I was just thinking like, you know, if my conduct was more like super chill and super like, Hey man. And like, it, it didn't rustle any feathers or anything like that. Would it, would it have, would it have had the same impact? So people, people would say, Oh, you know, you, you're just not effective, Joey. You're too aggressive, but look, it's, stirs up conversation they get me in the on the tv they get me on radio all the time i just did another tv interview yesterday 
<laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like, well, yeah. they're calling me. They want me on there. And I just speak for the animals when my mouth opens. Yeah. So it's- Aggression is not, this is the thing, is that people are afraid. This is what's interesting about our society is that people are afraid of anger because I think when we look out into the world, we're worried about where anger leads us because I think most people, most young people are not trained on how to deal with anger. They're not trained on how to direct their anger. So they act it out, like you say, drugs, crime, sex, whatever it is. You know, people take that anger, they internalize it, it causes depression, misanthropy, all this kind of stuff. I think my theory is that when you become a vegan advocate and you become a full-time activist, you study communication, you learn about how to speak to people, you get an opportunity to interact with potentially thousands of different human beings on a regular basis. So you really begin to refine the way you communicate to other people. So you can still feel anger, you can still become aggressive, but you really know how to place those words and how to direct the emotion. And I think that is what is so essential when it comes to effective vegan advocacy is use your anger, use your aggression, drop those truth bombs. People can't argue with the reality of the violence that is going on in our world today. And I think that is what's happening with you is you're, you're refining that, that quality, that, that kind of like it's a toolkit, you know, you, and, and as you grow and develop as a human being, it will get better and better and better to the point where you'll just be like dropping those truth bombs and people will just be looking at you aghast, not knowing what to say. And I mean, they really are doing it, <laughs> you know. So I think this is the irony is about the media is they are always looking for a chink in the armor. They're always, as a system uh, of like kind of broadcast, they're always looking for controversy and they're always looking for weak points to try and exploit you as a speaker or a a guest on a show. But I think when it comes to full-time advocacy, you know, we are discussing this stuff on a daily basis. We know our stuff. And I think they're so used to people coming on and, um, you know, feeling not not confident about what they're talking about. Well, I feel like we have the truth on our side and we also have facts and science and and you know, just you just have to look with your own eyes. I think that's the difference. Now, one of the things um, that happened like, was it last year? You were denied entry to the UK. Was it last year, two thousand seventeen? Yeah. Was that connected somehow? Because obviously, you know, you said you were worried about people spying on you and looking at your phone records and all that. Talk us through that because I spoke to you about it when it happened. It was a bit of a, an, a very unfortunate experience. Yeah. So. What, what what happened is um, I just come off of a huge tour, a D- the Dominion tour. So I was touring around um, Australia uh, helping to promote the Dominion uh, movie and, like, we were exhausted and we just uh, sort of took this 21-hour flight back to England. And, look, it was a combination of things, I'm going to say, it was the fact that I didn't have a ticket out, okay, which is a red flag. It was the fact that I um, had gone in and out of England um, multiple times in the last, you know, six months. And coupled with that, they looked at my social media and they Googled me up. And I spoke to the, the head customs officer because uh, uh, they denied my access based on my Patreon saying that I'm making money in the country. And I was like, Patreon is donation based from all over the world. And they were like, you know, no, you're promoting yourself in the UK and that is drawing in Patreon donations. And I'm like, what? So anyway, I, I asked for a meeting with the, 
the customs officer, the head customs officer, and I was like, well, what's up? I don't make money from your country. No, in no way. And he said, well, you know, he explained his reasoning. And then he said, look, off the record, we Googled you up and we've seen some of the things you say. And, um, you know, we've heard about all this and, you know, it's really hasn't helped your case. And I was like, you know, I've cha- I'm a changed man. And anything that I've said in, you know, th- those things that I said in the past about, you know, farmers killing should kill themselves and things like that, I obviously don't stand by those things now. And, you know, so, yeah, it didn't help my case having all of these media articles about me. And it doesn't when, um, when it comes to customs. It really doesn't. So Yeah, so, the, so you obviously were treated really badly. You were kept in a cell. Um, and I think, like, you know, do you, think, do you think that all these things are connected, though? Do you think that they – are you on some kind of like – I know James, I spoke to James Aspie briefly, and he, he spoke at a school, and then he, was, um, he told me that he was, he was put on a watch list or something because of, like, going into school to talk about vegan advocacy. Is this the kind of thing that you have had to endure as well? I really don't know how hard I'm being watched, um, but that's okay. They can watch me as all they like. I don't do anything illegal. I'm completely like, you know, I'm, uh, I really um, am just very passionate about veganism. And, and the thing is, like, Robbie, look, maybe a year ago or two, but, like, the, like they, they probably, like, would be a little bit more hardcore on us. But veganism is becoming so mainstream. You're talking about Lewis Hamilton, you know, uh, Miley Cyrus, um, even like Beyonce, Jay-Z are talking about this. People are starting to like realise that veganism has more credibility than it once did. And, you know, there's big people speaking up about this same thing. And, you know, you know like well, respected people and, you know, celebrities are obviously, um, you know, respected and give credibility to the movement. So, like, I think it's becoming more and more normalised. And as it becomes more and more normalised, it's less taboo and, it, and it's less like, oh, you know, you're trying to, you know, destroy our industries. More often than – I'll say, no, I'm not trying to destroy industry. I'm trying to help plant-based industry, you know. We're trying to help the plant-based industry. So it's not like we want to destroy economy. We want to work within the system, but we just want to funnel the money into ethical, um, more ethical businesses and industries and that will in turn help the environment and it and it helps people as well so um i think uh they can they can watch me i mean i'm sure they would be i'm sure the police have been watching me i'm sure that that, that there's you know and once they see what i'm actually up to i'm just making content and trying to create a better world i've actually had uh police officers message me and say you know um look i appreciate your background and just want to say I'm a vegan police officer and what you're doing is really important. And, you know, I'm, I'm completely with you on this. This is a, you know, and, and it's just, it's awesome to hear that because, you know, I used to be on the other end of the handcuffs and now I'm inspiring these police officers to feel like, um, you know, either bullied at their work because they're only vegan or it's just a crazy turnaround. There's so many videos of you like at these vigils and the saves where there are police present. And this, there's a couple of fantastic videos, actually, which I'll probably link in the description of the podcast of you having interactions with police office and officers and talking about what you're doing and why you stand by what you're doing. And I think, you know, a lot of the police officers are rational people. And I think when you can um, reason with people, they do come round to the conversation. They obviously are there because they're being 
not forced, but they're being kind of advised to keep an eye out for any kind of aggressive behavior. And it does, you know, we can't deny uh, aggressive behavior does happen. You know, at it, some of some of these things, I do know for a fact that the safe movement stands for um, peace and uh, nonviolent and non-confrontational um, activism and advocacy. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about SAVE? Because you've been involved and you want to talk a bit about for any of the listeners who may not be familiar with it. Okay, so um, in terms of like effective activism, one of the most controversial forms of activism uh, is the SAVE movement. Now, I'll tell you why. Like, It's probably the main form of activism where people are like, what is the save movement going to do? You know, what is standing out the front of a slaughterhouse with a sign going to do? You're not going to change the world like that. Like I get that so much. Oh, get a job, get a real job. And like what people fail to realize is that it's not just us standing out the front of a slaughterhouse with the sign. We all have iPhones and these iPhones are a, basically a window into an audience and guess what we're showing this audience where their food is coming from we're helping them connect the dots from the animal inside that truck to the flesh that's on their plate and there it is there's that personality there's that poor terrified animal covered in their own feces in the back of a truck and there's the flesh that was torn from their lifeless body so we're helping them make a very powerful connection and every single one Nearly every single one of my viral videos happened out the front of a slaughterhouse, a debate, you know, uh, the, the viral tractor video. Uh, my most viewed video ever, which has got six and a half million views and reached about 12 million people and actually kicked off the, uh, the vegan prophecy sort of uh, media buzz because BBC contacted me after that and did the um, Victoria Derbyshire uh, documentary and then uh, Ed went on, uh, to debate a dairy farmer, and then I went on Jeremy Vine. I mean, this happened because of the save movement. I mean, my, my, having a platform like that to facilitate and to make these videos, and you know, and making vi- visual videos like which I've uh, championed on my channel, and you know, filming activism and you know, inspiring others to join the save movement, and they, they've all got phones as well. Imagine every single person from every single chapter of the save group on earth collectively uploading footage to their Facebooks and YouTubes and Instagrams and pictures of, of animals constantly. We're talking thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of people reached weekly from the save movement. And people tell me this is not effective. Like, you have a very fundamental misunderstanding. Even vegans say, oh, it's not effective. Look, they have a fundamental misunderstanding or just complete, um, completely um, do not understand the power of the SAVE movement. I highly recommend people go. It's multifaceted, isn't it? I went to a SAVE in LA at the big slaughterhouse just outside LA. Um, and it was actually my first um, vigil to go to. I went with um, the, the guys when we were at the Animal Rights Conference and, in 2017. And it was an interesting experience. And I could see all the different aspects of what it was. So it's obviously witnessing this process. And for many people, who, especially people who've grown up in cities, who've never been around farms, around any um, farm animals, they've never experienced directly the process of animals off to slaughter. So they haven't, well, you could say, come up close to the victims of this animal agriculture industry. Then there's obviously the content gathering, as you say, so gathering the experience of the animals and the people, um, because one, one 
wonderful thing about human beings is that we're equipped with what are called mirror neurons. And when we see other people suffering and feeling emotion, um, we feel it ourselves. You know, the amount of times um, you, you see videos of people watching slaughterhouse footage and you don't actually see the slaughterhouse footage, but you witness the person's experience, you indirectly experience that with them. And I think that also opens the doorways of compassion within people as well when they actually see other people uh, awakening to this harsh and violent reality. So I think that in itself is also incredibly powerful. Then there's the process of actually just deeply understanding um, that this is a violent and oppressive system, but these animals are um, on their way to being slaughtered, murdered, killed, you know, and just being there and witnessing the death of these animals in a way is a, you could say, a very deeply spiritual experience for a lot of people. They, they are um, acknowledging something. Oh, here are these victims. The animals are being killed, and we can't stop them being killed. But we are here. We're a small group of people, and we are here witnessing this process and telling the world about it. We're shining a light. We're pointing a finger, saying this is happening. We need to stop it. We need to change it. You know, I'm going to. Do you agree? Go and as far as to say this, I say this at every single one of my workshops that the Save Movement is single-handedly the most powerful form of activism I've ever done. When I first um, started to bear witness something changed inside of me. It reinforced this in me so much more. And I still, every time I'm out the front of a slaughterhouse and those trucks, those double-decker trucks filled with terrified animals drive through, I am just as astounded as the first time I bore witness. I mean, it never ceases to astound me that this is happening. And I think we, as vegans especially, need to have that realization in person. We need to look into these sentient animals' eyes before they go into a slaughterhouse to be chopped up into pieces. It is a very profound experience. And what it does for me is it helps fuel the fire in my heart. And people say to me, Joey, you know, like, I want to go bear witness, but you don't understand. I'm going to break down. I'm just going to break down and crumble. And it's just like, we don't see that. We don't see that. That's okay, though. And so it's fine. But, but that's but, okay. But we just don't see that. What we see, like, yeah, I cry at slaughterhouses. I, I, yeah, but we don't see people crumbling to the floor. And, you know, what we see more of is people going, wow. They have this realization. They're like, wow, you know, I, I feel. So but people do crumble, and that's not a bad thing. Like, feeling emotion and crying and sobbing and. I, I'm, I mean, like, to the point where losing you can't it. handle it. Like, what, what I see more right. of is it gives people this strength. And they go, wow, wow, this isn't about me. I, I get to go home after this and, and, and they don't. Like they, they, they go through those doors and, and, and go into hell. So I think it gives people like this perspective that they didn't have before. And I think it's a very powerful thing. And then, um, you know, people might say like it makes you feel too helpless that you, you can't save them. But we're not helpless. What it does is it gives us the strength and the that that motivation and that anger that I talk about, you have to channel it in a very in a productive way for you to get something out of this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We can't help the animals, unfortunately, that are in the trucks, but we can help the hundred thousand animals that are on, on their way to going to the farms that are about to be forcibly impregnated. The animals in you know in the on the you know on their way to slaughter before that. You know there are there are ways in which people are advocating outside of the SAVE movement that are influenced by the SAVE movement. It's all connected. 
And I think that's the thing a lot of people don't realize. They just see the save movement without directly experiencing it and dismiss it because they don't really understand the intricate workings. I think a lot of these kind of uh, opinions come from people who don't really perceive the complexity of what is actually happening. No. It's a lot more complex. They have no experience with bearing witness in the save movement and they're, they're just inexperienced yeah. with activism uh, generally or with yeah. that form of activism generally. And that's okay because not all activism is for everyone, but I really do believe that I honestly do strongly believe that nearly everyone should go out the front of a slaughterhouse to bear witness. I've actually bore witness inside slaughterhouses uh, twice now and, you know, watched animals, you know, the, the, the last bit of life fade out of their eyes as blood drains out of their neck. And, you know, for me, being the, the type of character I am, that is something I was drawn to do, and it's something that I use in my advocacy all the time. And it, and it's and as disturbing and as traumatic as that was for me. And I do not advocate other vegans do this because this can really destroy you mentally. And we don't need that. We need you to be strong. But like for me, like I use that in my it's it's underlying tone in my voice is from the, the the pain that I've witnessed inside of these slaughterhouses, and I can speak for the animals from such a powerful place because I've been there with them, you know, I've watched them be murdered, you know, and, and I think that just, just being out the front of slaughterhouses and watching those animals go in will change your activism and take it to the next level. How do we avoid becoming misanthropic with these experiences? So how do we avoid hating humanity? Because I find um, you witness it a lot on social media where people talk about hating humans and human, humans need to die and we all need to be wiped off the face of the earth. Obviously, you know, we can, I can understand people's anger and frustration with our own species, but I think what that can do to you as a person when you become misanthropic, when you become human-hating, it's very easy for you to slip into depression. It's very easy for you to become, you know, a very unhappy and deeply troubled person. So how do we avoid that? I I think we should direct our anger towards the system because human beings were born into this sick world. So I say, look, I, I say, look, it's more about the fact that society, you know, make these places a reality through their consumption and and there's a system here like you know to hate a slaughterhouse worker for working the best job they have available to them because people work the best jobs they have available to them do you think that that, like slaughterhouse workers wake up in the morning and go you know what i want to do today robbie i want to go stab animals all day in a place that smells like feces blood and fear that's what i want to do with my life they work those jobs because they're the best jobs they have available to them and why the hell are these jobs available to people these sick jobs. I think to hate the individual is a mistake. I think there are certain human beings that aren't, you know, worthy of, you know, being f- free in society, and they're very disturbed people, and and there are bad people. But to say that 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 all humans that work in animal agriculture are inherently bad is a mistake, and I think it's not not right. I think, um, you know. Uh, yeah. Because it writes people off, doesn't it? Like we have, you know, one of my good friends, Fraser Bailey, I've had on the podcast. He's a, he was a butcher for seven years, I believe, 
And, you know, his whole world was, you know, aligned towards killing animals. Now he's a full-time vegan advocate and vegan bodybuilder, and his whole life is about protecting and saving animals. And if we write people off, if we just suggest that these people who work in these places and work on these farms and these dairy farmers are, are intrinsically evil people, I think there's no chance of a vegan world. Because if we don't see the possibility of change within every single individual then what are we doing? I mean, you know how many people wrote me off in my life? I was a violent gang member and I'd done some things that I'm not proud of. I've harmed human beings. I've, you know, done things that people do to animals in animal agriculture. I've done near, near things like that to human beings and maimed people, and you know, and, and left people really injured and psychologically damaged from the abusive, violent things that I used to do. Um, on the regular, like th this was a regular occurrence for me. I wasn't a good person. Like, I mean, I was inherently a good person, but the thing, the actions I were taking were, were harming people. I had victims and, you know, uh, imagine just going, you know, and I was eating massive steaks cut off the side of a cow nearly every second night. And I was consuming all these animal products and, you know, I've killed animals. I've killed many fish. I've killed, uh, I've killed a cat when I was younger, you know, I, like I, I was, and now look what I'm doing. Now look what I'm doing. I'm trying to defend animals. I wouldn't, I, I mean, I, I don't dream of harming people anymore. I mean, um, you, know, you could have easily written me off back then and said, like, like, lock them away, throw away the key. And like, I think everyone has the potential to change. And um, I think we should be directing our anger and our action towards the system because human beings are just, you know, they're part of that system. And, you know, education-based first and foremost and, you know, yeah, be, be emotional about this, but I just, I don't want people to channel their emotion in a detrimental way. And I don't think, um, you know, hating the human race is a productive way uh, for, is productive for you as a, as a, as an activist and even productive for animals. Um, human beings create a lot of suffering, a lot of harm and a lot of torture, and we are destroying the earth, but we also have the potential to create a lot of wealth. And we, ha we are, human beings are the only ones who can liberate animals. Animals cannot liberate themselves. Animals cannot liberate themselves. They rely on us to liberate them and we liberate the planet as well. Um, so yeah, we cause torture, violence and death. And we also cause well-being, love and compassion. So um, don't just write us off as a, as a race. I know it's, it can be hard, but we have to see both sides of the coin. We're coming to an end now because I think we're almost out of time. But what do you think is in the future for Joey Carbstrong? What's what's on the what's on the horizon for you? The way I operate, Robbie, is I live uh, from my heart space, and I have a clear intention, and that intention manifests year after year. I just make sure that I keep that intention uh, strong in my heart. Uh, everything that happened from January onwards last year wasn't wasn't planned. I mean, this was just uh, a pure belief that a vegan world is possible, and I have a clear intention. and And every and doors just open from living through my heart space. Um, there is a couple of things potentially that could be happening with television, um, which I'm quite excited about. I don't like to, uh, you know, bring it out the box until I definitely know. But um, I just, I just one hundred percent know in my heart that this year is going to be massive, and I don't really know how it's going to be massive. All I know is it's going to be massive in terms of veganism and advocacy, and my advocacy and my contributions will not stop. They're only going to double, triple, and you know, times by ten. And I just see this going to another level this year. I really do into another dimension. 
Fantastic. Before you go, I like to ask all my guests. So you know that desert island where there's a pig, that yeah. joke about the desert island and the pig? Yeah. Well, the pig's obviously your friend. <laughs> you're not yeah. going to eat the pig. If you're on that desert island and you're stuck there and I could give you uh, a book, a music album, and one vegan dish, what would they be? A book? I would use the book as campfire material. I don't read. If it's a, oh wait, give me an audio book. Give me an audio book. Um, what would be audio book? Oh God, you put me on the spot there. How to how to how to escape a desert island? That would be the audio book. Amazing. Uh, the vegan album. Um, oh God, I love you know what? I love Sia. I love Sia, and you know she's a vegan. Um, a bit of James Arthur too. I like my old mate James. Um, and what was the next nice. one? The vegan dish. The vegan dish. Oh God. Oh, give me a big bag of purple sweet potatoes, and I'm good. And we, I'll share it with the piggy as well. <laughs> Amazing, Mr. Jay Carpstone. Thank you so much for joining us on the PBM podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. Hey, I just want to say, Robbie, thanks so much from the bottom of my heart for all the work you guys put in, especially you. You do so much uh, work for the movement and you're so dedicated and passionate and very um, logical and rational, rational and reasonable. And, you know, it's thank just you. from me to you, thank you so much from the animals. Thank you, man. I really, really appreciate that. It's been an absolute joy and a pleasure. And we look forward to seeing all your um, adventures in 2019. 100%. Let's do this. Thanks for joining us. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie. I'll be back next week with more veganism, fashion, technology, health and law and everything else in between. Mm -hmm.